This is Asia's Farm to Fork Five Good Questions podcast, bringing you insights and views from across Asia's food value chain. Now for today's interview. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Asia's Farm to Fork Five Good Questions podcast. This is Duke Hip, the host of the, the show, as it were. And we're very excited about having uh, another special, uh, very um, relevant guest for our discussion that we want to have today. We're, we're joined by Dr. Shanghi Tan, the Executive Director at CropLife Asia, which is the voice for the plant science industry here across the region. Hi, Shanghi. Hi. Thank you, Duke, for having me here, um, here today. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us. There's a lot to talk about, so maybe uh, best to just jump in. The first question uh, well, I'll ask you, it's a very timely one, something that's just happened recently. As you, you, as you well know, the United Nations is leading a very important discussion, a series of discussions, really, with stakeholders this year called the Food Systems Summit. And in fact, just I think the last, uh, the last two weeks, the, uh, the pre-summit just concluded, right? And the National Summit itself is, is set for September in New York. So it's, uh, it's all very timely. Well, the summit, as you know, again, is intended for, to identify uh, and launch new actions to bring progress on all 17 of the Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, in relation to ensuring, quote, a healthier, more sustainable and equitable food system. And in the wake of COVID-19, we learned so much, really, just about how fragile the food systems are here in Asia and really globally. And I wanted to ask you, knowing that's happening, in your view, are there any must-haves when it comes to making food systems more resilient here in our region? Thank you, Duke. This is a very difficult question and a very complex question. And but fundamentally, I believe this is a very timely discussion that we need to have because the food system was haven't been in such a high level of, of scrutiny and such a high level of emphasis because at the end of the day, agriculture food system is complex and therefore the intervention needs to come from end to end from the input side, from the environmental side, all the way to the consumer. Everybody has to play a significant part in order to uplift the whole agriculture system, in order to make it resilient. Everybody, the stakeholders, from institution to regulators, to government, to financial institution, needs to able to interject or intersect in order to uplift the value system. It cannot fall on because at the current, oh, the farmer needs to do this, the farmer needs to do this. Everybody relies on the farmer, but how can farmers support the world without the innovation, without the financial capability? And last but not least, like you mentioned, this is COVID, uh, COVID period. And how do they get to the market? And again, going back to the fundamental questions, 85% of smallholder farmers are in Asia. But when you look back, how does a farmer be able to grow sustainably, be able to shift their product into market sustainably, and not to forget that a lot of them do not have the post-harvest facility to go to market. In addition to that, the whole complexity of farmers do not know what is the forecast, unlike very, you know, agriculture has two, two stages, one other mid-size, a small size, and a large, large scale. Those people may have better insights into what is market demand, but the smallholders needs much more intervention, needs more support, needs more technology. And this is where the other critical technology that's been discussion is digital act and et cetera, all needs to come in hand, hand in hand in order to further uplift 
the whole agriculture space. I hope this is the 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 um it's not a short mass win, it's a mass win and a lot of intervention needs to be collectively implemented in order to achieve that resiliency that we're looking for. No, thank you for that. Thanks for the answer. I think in the in the uh, in the interviews we've done so far, that's been the common denominator. We we hear it time and again, the farmers are really where it all starts, and that's where the the focus needs to be, certainly and uh, uh, makes a lot of sense. So pivoting a little bit or really, uh, over to deeper within the United Nations, staying with the UN and some other things that they've done recently, they've also released their annual state of food security and nutrition uh, for the world. Uh, and there's not a lot of good news, unfortunately, for Asia that's in there. A lot of troubling statistics for our region specifically. I think uh, just to quote a few of them, more than half of the world's undernourished uh, live in Asia. That's some 418 million people. I think that's the, the big headline. And that really gets to the heart of a topic that I know means a lot to crop life Asia, means a lot for this region, which is food security, or sadly, all too often, food insecurity for, for Asia. And we also now know that the global pandemic, as you just mentioned, is, uh, has really exposed and exacerbated a lot of problems we, we suspected were there, and now we, we know for, for a fact that are there and getting worse. So with all that being said, and, you're, and you're, again, in your view, uh, what are some of the next steps we need to take to help better uh, buffer food security here in Asia and around the world? I think um, a lot of government on the onset since March um, or even Q1, Q2 last year when first COVID came in, we have never seen such a dramatic, rapid intervention by various government. You know, from Singapore, we had the 30 by 30 program injection, India, Vietnam all says, okay, we're going to improve uh, whether it's post-harvest, we're going to put more technology into the hands of farmers. This is only a fraction of, uh, of what needs to be done in order to uplift. I think uh, we heard um, Jeffrey Sack speak at UN FAO a couple of nights ago. The whole gap between um, what you call funding gap between agriculture development is huge. There are, there are multi-billion dollars needs to be in, put in place to further uplift the whole value chain. This is only a fraction of getting that, that uplift. But the other piece is also um, a lot of programs like water resiliency. As you mentioned, you know, um, there are about a million people, a billion people will be in a very difficult situation with, with uh, water scarcity. And again, agriculture does not move or does not grow without water. And this is going to be much more critical because of weather change or climate change. And water has a double whammy. What double whammy in a sense that water that comes in time for cultivation and water that gets to uh, disperse and not have flooding. As you know, many, many crops cannot withstand flooding. So farmer needs to have it in a timely, in an acceptable uh, proportion in order for him to get to harvest. So again, we urge all the government to really look at a collective system, end-to-end -end support, as opposed to a short-term injection. It doesn't work in really upscaling, but fundamentally is the whole delay in regulatory system that is impeding the fast tracking of technology to be put in, delivered to the hands of farmers so they can cope with climate change. You know, typhoon comes every year. And if seven years we don't get a regulation, that means the farmers are facing crisis for the next seven years because he doesn't have the technology to allow him to deliver and grow 
to benefit and to reduce the um, cost of food. No, no, thanks. That's a great answer. I mean, again, I uh, that's something we hear a lot as well. Is that not to point the finger, but but certainly that's a gap, right? I think that's that's um, that's that you see here across the board, and that it comes out the regulatory inefficiency or, or some things that are happening there that could be improved. Well, uh, you raised some good points there on the farmer front. I'd like to stay with that if I can. With question number three, as you raised and and, and uh, highlighted, that really um, is a unique challenge for Asian farmers. There, Asia is home to small, smallest size farms, and the largest number of smallholders really of anywhere in the world. So, in light of that, uh, what needs to be done to make sure these farmers have what they need to be successful? And, and most uh, part of that discussion also being good stewards of the land, talking about being good, responsible parts of the food value chain. I think the first and foremost, everybody is too far away from the farm to know that farmers are the steward, like you said, the steward of the farm, because they themselves, especially on the farm, small commodity farmers, they, you know, they grow their chicken, they harvest their, 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 what do you call, organic material, and we plow it into the soil as part of the manuring system. And with the smallholders, they also do a lot of diverse cropping, you know, whether it's nitrogen-based, you know, like legumes that will, will, will bring in more nitrogen. I think smallholders are, are really brilliant and intelligent in, in taking care of their soil because that is their baseline. If their soil is not fertile, he will not be able to get the full harvest that he needs. But the next question is that a lot of people... We need to give them the correct seeds, the real genetic seeds that he can grow to a better yield, the better quality that he could bring to market and be able to capture what he has grown and so that he can buy more and better materials so that he could improve his productivity. As you know, a lot of seeds will lose its genetics ability and loses its quality if you keep on multiplying under a so-called a, a uh, self-propagated generation. So first and foremost, we need to empower farmers with the correct seeds. And then so that he could grow to maturity. And then he can buy other materials, whether it's uh, fertilizers and organic fertilizers, etc. This is going to rejuvenate the soil. So we need to start by seeing how can we help him to increase his productivity? How can we help him so that he can grow his crop to maturity and fully capture the value for his hard work? That makes, makes a lot of sense. makes a lot of sense, certainly, um, about the importance of enabling those farmers. Uh, next question, I, I hate to come back to the UN again, uh, but I'd, I'd like to go back to one more statistic that came up this year. It's, it's um, something I'd like to get your, your thoughts on. Again, according to the UN uh, data they released earlier this year, we now know that roughly two-thirds of the children here in our region are suffering from the effects of malnutrition. That's a heartbreaking reality for Asia. And in earlier episodes, we spoke with representatives of ISA and ERI uh, regarding the role that biofortification can play. And I, I bring this up because something else has happened recently. I'm sure you know the Philippines recently became the world's first country to approve officially the commercial production of vitamin A-enriched golden rice. It's a huge development. It's something that's been in the works for a very long time, a long journey. And I'd like to get your thoughts on what that development really means for uh, Asia and the world. It's, it's a great milestone, a great landmark for, for agriculture. Reason being is on the medical front, you know, every year 500 children goes blind because of lack of vitamin A. 
So if you take a Singapore of five point uh, five million uh, population in six years, everyone in Singapore is blind without their nutrition. Can you imagine that type of skill and uh, uh, magnitude? So I think we welcome this side uh, of of uh, technology that will definitely help in eradicating blindness due to malnutrition. But this is only a small component. The other larger component, as you as I pointed out, there's so many malnourished people across 500 over million people. Indonesia is 330 million. It's almost 1.5 times of Indonesia people that goes to bed hungry every day. That is, then people talk about basic nutrition rights, we therefore, in an agriculture space, need to ensure that we provide the technology that these children are taken care of because malnutrition is a three generational impact. Because if the parents are poor, undernourished, the subsequent generation will be impacted also. Just imagine the 500 over million children, uh, millions of children that you pointed out, will have long term impact on their life. And that's why I said, you know, the intervention needs to come in all throughout the life cycle of agriculture. It's a, not a single point intervention. Yeah. No, thank you for that answer. And, and I, I wanted to ask you that because I know also you mentioned the regulatory, you know, some of the challenges and, and that's a gap for farmers. There's, so there's a little bit of good news there. So that's good, good, good to hear from you on that. And with the last question, um, in fact, speaking of good news, We've talked a lot about some of the challenges in these, these first four questions, talking about a lot of the issues that farmers are facing, that children are facing, that, um, that, that just on the larger food system front here in Asia, a lot of challenges ahead that we, we're grappling with. I want to ask you for some good news. Right? If you look at your crystal ball, maybe five years from now, 10 years from now, is there something you think you think a development uh, on the horizon that would be, would be a, a big one for the region on, on the food and ag front? I think, uh, again, this is uh, a golden opportunity because um, what we're seeing today with the intervention of government, we are seeing a lot of rescaling or upscaling of land by consolidation. Um, governments are promoting younger generations of uh, farmers to come in, which are much more adapted to um, digital agriculture, much more adapted to looking at science and technology for agriculture use. Over the last six months you know, during COVID, you see exponential growth in terms of urban culture. So the, the whole context of agriculture is changing rapidly. And then again, going back to the whole piece of the food system, we were gonna see a, a tremendous momentum and hopefully much more um, commitment by various stakeholders to really uplift the whole agriculture space. But the piece is the regulators together with the government needs to move much more rapidly in tandem with the technology space because it's very uneven. If that uneven continues to go on, the end point is you're going to, the farmers will also continue to suffer because the technology space is much more uh, quicker. Technology develops much more quicker, but adaptation will not be at pace, number one. Number two is we really need people to look at they are technology early adopters. By having a quantum leap in terms of early adopters, we can reduce the price tremendously for the secondary and tertiary uh, con 
what you call users to adopt the technology. So we need to bring down the cost to be much more scale neutral. Then the technology is already scale neutral in the sense you can use it for 0.5 hectare for drone example or 800 hectare for drone. But a lot of people have this tendency of, oh, let's wait till everyone can afford it. So this is not true. Every technology needs to be looked at in a sense, who are the early adopters? How can we bring down the cost so it becomes scale neutral? And only with that, we can have the national impact, necessary impact on the ground for wider adoption throughout the value chain. Well, again, that's an answer we hear a lot. The technology space is one that's, uh, you're already seeing some of the, the good developments there. And, and as you said, um, a, lot, a lot of room for growth there and potential, certainly. Much appreciate your answer on that. and appreciate your answer on all of these. That was the fifth question. So you're officially off the five good questions hot seat. And uh, Dr. Tan, we just want to say thanks again for doing this. Thank you very much, Duke, for having me on uh, Asia's Farm to Fork today. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, and subscribe. We look forward to bringing you another five good questions interview. 